So are you familiar with something called the Queeby? Um, what'd, you, what'd you call me? Uh, it, I'm not familiar with these guys. It's spelled Q... It's somebody from the printer company, the Hewlett-Packard company. Uh, somebody from the, them is attached to the project. It's called Q-U-I-B-I. Queeby. Wait, is, is this different than the video service? No, it's exact... Are you, are you trolling me? What's happening? I'm not trolling you, but uh, you're killing me. Okay, well, we're talking about Quibi. Man. All right. It's fine. We're off for game. <laughs> I think the country's off for... I think this... Uh, all right. Um, it's going to be one of those weeks, isn't it? All right, so I'll DM, uh, DM you a, a Slack message. Um, which might... That plays really well over a recorded audio program. You know what? People... People can fill in the blanks. Every, everybody's at home, bacon sourdough and coloring and taking up all these weird hobbies. Um, they, <laughs> uh, so they, they, can, they can use um, podcasts as theater of the mind. So as, as uh, somebody we don't really listen to used to say. <laughs> uh, so Quibi, who uh, they're pioneers, they have, they, have, they have a lot of familiar people that we won't actually speak about that are on the team um, that cross over from other, other adjacent projects that we might know of. Uh, so Quibi, which was famous for being run by Jeffrey Katzenberg, Meg Whitman, and a few others, which uh, produced very, 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 very expensive content that was designed for phones primarily. Um, and what was the quote from Katzenberg? He blames everything on the pandemic. I think he was saying kind of in jest, but I, I think that was he... in jest. Yeah. Yeah. But it, <laughs> yeah, it slash, slash not really. In jest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Or kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, the Hollywood Reporter today has uh, reported that Quibi uh, is pivoting. It's not actually a pivot, but they have uh, made a drive-in movie theater for uh, one of their um, their movies called The Stranger, which um, all their content, again, the whole premise is it's supposed to be um, traditional content, sort of, but more formatted for a phone and broken into uh, broken down into 10-minute quick bites or, or chunks called quick bites or queebies, if you will. Um, so they have taken the, they, they, they took it offline as, as we're famous for saying, and they made it into a drive-in movie theater, uh, because those are apparently making a comeback. So do you, do you have to watch one 10 minute chunk and then come back the next day for the next 10 minute chunk? Is that how this works? I mean, I think you just have to leave the parking lot for a minute and drive right back in. (laughs) It's like when you get off the wrong exit on the freeway and you, and you, yeah. Um, so yeah, but this actually uh, dovetails into something else, which is drive-in theaters are back. So not to make this too, for like OPSEC reasons, uh, very near where I live, uh, one of the local theaters, which is very close to uh, uh, official restaurant sponsor or rest- restaurant partner of Technically Correct, uh, Pico, mm-hmm. the, the, the local theater on that same street has a partnered with with one of the local shopping malls to make uh drive-in movies where they are charging $35 to drive in uh in your luxury SUV and watch uh Grease uh on a Saturday night. So that's a thing again. Well, I I a for effort, I guess. Yeah, I I I know I'm I'm probably warping the price a little bit. Well, I mean that is actually what it does cost, but I mean that seems costly. Yeah, but I but I understand. Yeah, yeah. I, I like. I know most of movie theaters like you're. You're not really making it up in concessions anymore because isn't that how it works? 
I guess it's, so. it's like yeah. like where a restaurant exists mostly to sell booze, <laughs> or or not not that that's what their purpose is, but that on 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 a, on the P and L sheet, that's kind of where everything high um high gross margin, if you will. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Low low R and D on cocktails, I guess. <laughs> uh, except all the egg whites that you have to throw out. Um. Yeah. Okay. So a- actual follow up now. Um. Oh, actually, I'm going to throw this in because I, I, I carried this over from last week because I think we skipped over it because I forget what we talked about last week. But I remember last week being a, being a, a decent show. People should go listen to that. <laughs> skip, <laughs> skip this one. Just go back and listen to last week's. No, no, do, do both. Put, put a pin in this one and then and put it in the parking lot and then put it, put it in the drive-in theater and then come back to it. <laughs> Ooh, wait, we should try to make that a thing where... When somebody has an idea that nobody wants to talk about on a WebEx meeting, you put that in the drive-in. Oh, I thought you were going to say we should make a drive-in, but for podcasts. No. Think, think about it. I think it's called the Tower Records. <laughs> um, I don't think we had Tower Records in Southern California, but nobody knows what a Sam Good our, is. Our local music place was called The Warehouse. You remember that? I don't think it was that local. Well, I mean, I remember I remember what you're talking about. I mean, it was about. a chain, but I, it wasn't as big as Tower Records, I don't think. Um, yeah, I remember Southern California was weird. There was a lot of uh, we didn't we didn't have a we never had Barnes and Noble in Southern California, which always was weird when I because it, it was one of those brands that you always heard on the national stage, but you never it just never was in Southern California. There was one at the Irvine Spectrum, but the Irvine Spectrum was it wasn't around in the 90s. That was a late well, 90s, not early 2000s. Yeah, not in the form that it eventually um, became. That's true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, what were we talking about? This all started from people should listen to last week's show. No, no. So, so, so scrap that. To so listen to this week's show, the one you're listening to right now. Don't, don't pause. Don't skip the ad reads. Um, so for anybody who has bought a Breville Barista Express as a, a result of peer pressure on this show... Uh, one thing that I'm going to advocate for that that's a that's a big quality of life improvement with that is to buy a second portafilter. <laughs> so the re- the reason I'm laughing is because another way of reading this is I feel like you're f- you're trying to use as few functions and components from that barista express as possible no no again you know why my grinder situation is the way that it is and my grind is very much on point but um no how how does this no i don't mean buy an like an alternative portafilter i mean have a buy a second one so that if you don't feel like washing the other one or you i like again for me not to not to uh, to toot my own horn but I very rarely have a bad espresso pull these days, or, or my my shots are all. I, I always take my shots, and they're always right in the right dead center in the range of where they're supposed to be. Wow, that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a very braggadocious and mm-hmm. uh, crossover with Hamilton. So I'm you know pretty pleased with that. So right, yeah, smugness cubed. Then <laughs> uh, <laughs> the show title. Yep. <laughs> um, but do you understand what I mean by buy a second porta filter? No, I, I totally do. I have been trying to get better about washing the portafilter and cleaning the espresso machine right after I use it in the morning. But, you know, early morning Zoom meetings, etc. sometimes get in the way of that. 
I appreciate the 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 spunkiness and the will to live that you somehow have where you're not just bleary eyed and just not wanting to do anything in the morning where where you have the wherewithal to consider one again because we've talked about on a previous show um you haven't take the butter knife to uh dislodge the um uh the basket yes and then wash it right because that's that's the other part of the reason why i felt like this was a worthwhile thing to do is that it's not even just like the fact that you would just like rinse the porta filter like if you're just doing that and you're not removing the basket which is the most um like annoying part of it you're not actually really cleaning much yeah, I bet you don't um, unscrew the bottom part of it either, do you? Uh, I do that maybe every couple of times. Okay, that's fine. And I, you know, I'll just, I'll like, I'll, I'll thoroughly run it under like hot water and and with a little bit of soap for twenty seconds. You know, you do do what you do your hands to your porta filter. <laughs> sure. Is the Apple Watch going to have a function where it tells you if you're washing your porta filter thoroughly? Uh, Who even knows? If, if they don't, that's a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what else are they doing with that thirty percent? <laughs> We'll, we'll get there um so anyways um, people should go do quick so, little i guess quick little sidebar i've i've heard that hand washing feature in the betas has has not been working very well which se- seems like something apple should be able to execute on but again increase the cut to 40 i mean <laughs> yeah what are, what are you even doing um so yes people should people should give this a shot just because like Again, like I'm somebody who actually doesn't mind doing dishes. Like again, like I, I'm I'm an efficient dishwasher packer. Um, that that's a whole life concept where people there's people who can load a dishwasher effectively and people who cannot. Um, and you want to you want to be in the right column with that. But I don't mind doing the dishes, but I don't like doing only one or two dishes at a time because you you, just, you don't get into your groove and you kind of don't want to really go through the hassle of it. And that is the thing where like I. I don't want to just get the water running and, and soap and all that kind of stuff for like just one espresso container and just the porta filter. So that's where that's convenient enough where where it's worthwhile to grab a second one. So did you buy a Breville porta filter or is this um... so this is so this is yeah so this is why I wanted to bring it up. So um, Breville USA parts. So. Uh, if you yeah, if you search Google for Breville USA parts, they uh, if you type in the model number, Breville actually I've never had to like repair anything, but they sell basically every part for. Actually, I'll send you a link to um, the one specifically for the Briefsta Express. But yeah, they they sell the knockbox for only twenty dollars. Um, they sell the baskets. Um, they sell that bean hopper and it's all like super, super like honestly priced. Like if you ever like broke or misplaced the grinder hopper, it's $7. So this is very, very cool. Um, but yeah, you can buy any part from here, which is neat. Um, they were at the time though, so I like they did not have, they were sold out of the porta filter assembly. So I did need to buy that from Seattle coffee gear. Um, it was 80 bucks. Like, I think, I think it was worth it for the, for the number of times where it has avoided the whole, I don't want to wash this yet quite yet. Um, it's totally worth it. Huh? Okay. No, I, um, I support that, you know, um, I have to admit, I'm a little distracted looking at this um, parts page. Something that 
stood out to me. I don't think I have any interest in this, but it, it is kind of neat. Is the uh, temp control milk yeah. jug? But the problem with this is, it looks like. Do you remember back in the night? I I don't like this being the like nostalgia show, but about the nineties. But do you remember back in the nineties when the the big revolution in technology was that they had those uh, AA batteries with the battery tester on them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way that this looks is it looks kind of as um, cheap and chintzy as that. It does look a lot like that. Yeah. Like it just does, it looks like it's or like like a like a mood ring or something where I'm not really sure whatever this because there's no electronics here. I assume it's just that. The thing gets hot, and there's some type of like hypercolor, like style, like uh, temperature reactive, like label on here. So I, I don't think this is that high tech. So, so it, this is also making me think of you know as good as your espresso pulling game is, my milk frothing game is just on point lately. It's it's really but, but, good. Okay, so so. Uh, do you we we discussed it where when I first got the machine it was unconscionably loud and uh had some difficulties with that and then I discovered a couple of YouTube videos that explained what I was doing wrong. So have you adjusted because you still thought that yours was very loud even though you thought you were doing it well. So did you make any adjustments to the point where it's very quiet now? I did. Yeah, I did. Okay, so what'd you change or explain what people cuz I I think we shared the same problem. And I think we can help a lot of people if you can explain what we were doing wrong and what what the in plain English what the change is. So we were holding the steam wand, I guess, too far down in the milk at the mm-hmm. beginning of the warming cycle. And if you adjust so that the steam wand is sort of just beneath the surface of the milk, um, especially in the in the very beginning, uh, it tends to be much less noisy. And I was also finding that. I was getting the, um, what do you call it? The the circular motion of the milk. <laughs> You're famous for calling it the whirlpool effect. Most, the whirlpool uh, effect. M- most videos say you want the milk to roll. <laughs> so I think those are different. So you got to be steeped in the lingo and not steeped like in tea. Mm-mm, yeah, no. No, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I did make that adjustment. Okay. And it's been, and it's been, it's very, been quiet. very quiet. It's very like, quiet. Uh, alarmingly mm-hmm. quiet. Yeah. Um, versus the abomination that it was at the start of <laughs> when I was like, oh, I can't really, ever, like, I feel guilty ever turning this on because it was like, it was louder than like eight vacuum cleaners at once and much more and it, with some nails on a chalkboard thrown in. The tricky part is just getting the right amount of milk into the jug because there is a super duper thin line between the right amount of milk and too much milk for the mugs that well, we use so i mean that that varies so you i would generally say just fill it up halfway even with a very broad or like with a like a eight to 12 ounce mug that's that's still plenty because you can control how much you want to stretch the milk um and that's the thing where if you're putting the steam wand in um very shallowly don't know if that's a word um because like if you put it very very like barely underneath the um like the the top of the milk, that's more of a, a cappuccino airy foam type approach. And if you put it a, a tiny bit lower, that's where you're going to have the um, the steam wand just very very gradually sucking in air that has more of a um, a latte like effect. The the rolling, if you will. No, no, that's a different concept. 
can't tell if you're trolling or not. What, what did you say? Pulling the milk? So we, we roll and pull the milk? Is that those are the technical terms? No, no. You pull an espresso shot and you want the milk to roll, but you also want at the beginning of it for air to be uh, to be gradually uh, sipped in via the steam wand in order to stretch the milk. Stretch the milk. Sorry. Okay. Got it. I'm, I'm taking some notes here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking of starting up a YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm only half kidding. I got to fix my, like, again, my lattes are fantastic. Um, but again, the, the, the latte art, I just, I, I, I don't, I don't have it in me. I think I keep trying it. Sometimes I'll have ones that are surprisingly good, but uh, like, I, it's totally not repeatable for me. So I, I, it's a bummer. Yeah. All right. Um, what else we got? Oh, do, do you want to talk briefly to take a pivot? Well, do you want to um, adapt Corona talk into a fireside chat? Sure. Yeah. So I think we talked about it last week. A lot, of, a lot of fires in California. We've had a kind of an accelerated fire season. The one thing I do want to um, discuss, cause we've, you, you talked about it a couple of weeks ago where you, um, started prepping for fire season or the likely blackouts um and you you got your what, what was the brand of your um not ups but the thingy yeah the, my ecoflow delta 1300 power station uh it sounds like a military helicopter sort of <laughs> <laughs> um uh so yeah so uh, one thing that i got last year uh, but didn't actually get to really use because uh, the power was out while most of the fires were going on. Um, I got, which was the wire cutters, then upgrade pick for air purifiers, which is the um, the Blue Air 211 Plus. So if you go to the wire cutter, and I'll send you a link so you can put it in the show notes. Um, if you go to the wire cutter for best air purifier, their pick is the uh Coway AP fifteen twelve double H, which looks like an iPod Shuffle, which is yeah, that's the uh, the lady friend and I have have this one. Yeah, like I I think that's the one everybody has because it's it's a it's like economical and apparently it's very good and it's a reason it's kind of like it's not cheap but it like it's it's a it's a good value. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't love the look of it even though it does give strong like a uh, second gen iPod Shuffle vibes. Um, so I got the Blue Air blue pure 211 plus uh because it looks very like it, the design is very very sleek um it's extremely quiet on the like right now it's on the medium mode where it circulates a lot of air and i don't i'm not sure you can actually hear it or if once you noise gate this people definitely will not be able to hear it uh but on low it's almost silent um and then i like that you you can dress it up so on this one where they're showing on the wire cutter where it's got like little uh black pants you can uh, purchase different color uh, pre-filters or pants, <laughs> as they call them. So you can you can dress up your your air purifier. Is pants is that is that the technical term in the the air uh, purifier world? No, no. I I technically it's called a pre-filter. I say the the air purifier has yoga pants, and that's <laughs> yeah. So my, my mine has three pairs. Uh, it came with two. It came with a blue and a black one. Um, and I also got a um. A yellow one. It's very, it's very nice. Do they, do they not make an orange one? I don't think they do. And again, because even though it kind of seems like it's fashionable to like the giants again, um, 
yeah, I'm, I, I feel like I, I'm a bit of an imposter if I'm if I'm leaning too hard into the orange thing. Uh, since since me and the Giants are, are to quote friends on a break, I think is that I think that's a term. <laughs> I um, when you sh- shared this with me before the show, I kind of scoffed at the price, but <laughs> compared to the Coway, it's not that much more. Yeah, I, we've 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 had the uh, Coway one for quite a while now, so I I had um, not remembered how costly it was, but yeah, it's it, it is pretty pricey. Yeah, and when I got it, they had a sale where you got the the Blue Air four eleven for free, which is uh, a smaller one, which I have in the bedroom. It's not nearly as quiet, um, or like on low, it's quiet, but it's it doesn't move a lot of air. So I mean, it's it's fine. But that was sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be on the uh, the lookout for um, some orange yoga pants. I guess I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. What else do we have in follow up? Uh, we got to consult the document here. Um, well, we've, we've got you know the kind of the big fu, which is some Jeez. some follow up to um, the whole Apple Epic situation, which we discussed last week. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give the summary of what's happened since we last spoke, or you want me to to give no, it a try? I'll be the Casey. It's okay. Um. Yeah, so like, well, so a lot of this seems moot now, but we'll, we'll, I guess we'll take it in order um, from kind of where we left off last week. So yeah, so uh, a bunch of news publishers, including the Wall Street Journal and uh, the Times, uh, wrote, um, they didn't actually write, did they write anything? Because I know Microsoft actually wrote like a declaration uh, to the court but I don't know if the news publishers just get just did kind of like an open letter style thing. But they 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 according to this Wall Street Journal article, which will be in the notes, wrote a letter to Apple chief executive Tim Cook. Oh well, yeah, anybody can do that. Um, it's, it's Tim. Uh, sorry, it's Tim. It's T Cook at Apple dot com. Go for it. Um. Yeah, so they they were objecting to kind of how much they take from Apple News Plus subscriptions um, and kind of how Apple isn't really given a fair shake to the publishing world either. Uh, The Times is not a part of News Plus, but the Wall Street Journal does offer a smaller subset of their content on News Plus, hoping to reach a different audience that maybe will not be, is not too keen to... um, to plunk down the i think it's i think the wall street journal is like 40 bucks a month it's it's a little pricey um and i forget if we talked about it last week but yeah microsoft also filed a declaration in court uh supporting and they in their point was not necessarily um talking about the 30 percent cut or any of that kind of stuff it was more of the uh ecosystem play and the fact that the um any action that apple would have against Epic as a developer in general that would disrupt uh, the is it called the Unreal Engine yes. or the Unity Engine? The Unreal, Unreal. Engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if, if banning that would then have a rippling effects on the industry in general. But they, I do not think they um, really waded into um, the thirty percent cut part, which is which is a distinction that we will get to now that um, uh, the court uh, had a a zoom hearing basically or a remote hearing on either Monday or Tuesday. I think it was on Monday where basically they said that, no, they're not going to issue. And again, all these legal terms that I'm going to use are wrong, but they're not going to issue an injunction or a stay. Those are probably two very different things. Um, 
to get Fortnite back in the store, but they are blocking or they're they're forcing Apple to not take any action against uh, the Unreal Engine that would then penalize uh, parties that are not necessarily um, involved in this fight. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll we'll put this Bloomberg article in the notes. It sort of summarizes a quote from the judge saying that Epic breached its agreements with Apple by trying to make money on Fortnite purchases while accessing Apple's platform for free, but didn't breach any contracts related to Unreal Engine and developer tools. And I guess um, she had got on to say by limiting Unreal Engine, Apple has chosen to act severely hurting third-party developers who use Epic's technology platform. Yeah. And and the other part about this I thought was interesting. So I, I again, from like, I, I, this isn't necessarily the ruling that I would have wanted. It, like, it does seem like it makes the most sense, but I do wish that like, because ultimately I want, I want the 30% thing to change. And I think Apple acts in bad faith a lot and they um, are uh, being disingenuous uh, and or lying when they say they treat everybody the exact same. Uh, but the judge made a very specific claim, and I don't have the quote exactly in front of me, but stating that basically, oh, there we go. So, um, no, this is actually, this is an Apple um, filing, but the judge basically said that uh, this isn't, um, I don't know what the term is, but uh, this isn't necessarily uh, something that's happening to you because their decision to breach Apple's agreement by doing this um direct in-app payments thing is not necessarily them being um injured or i I need to take a law class uh but they're they're not it's it's a controversy or a situation entirely of their own making so they don't necessarily have the same standing or ability to claim that they're being harmed in the way that they are claiming it Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Tidy that. Um, tidy that up, or edit in all the <laughs> correct terms. Yeah, we'll we'll fix all that in post. Um, and you know, so the other thing that's come out um, in the in the past week, which is tangentially related to the idea that you just brought up, which is, I think there's sort of broad agreement, including between you and I, that the thirty percent policy in the app store needs to change. I think there's a little bit of reservation about. Epic being the one who's sort of the the flag bearer for this movement, and that you know there were there were some concerns about that you know right from from the get go, and in the last week it's come out that prior to pulling the whole um, um, payment change in Fortnite, they had actually um, and they being um, Epic's CEO had reached out to Apple seeking a side deal which (laughs) gives accountants like me heartburn when you hear things like that um and you know they've they've since epics since tried to come out and say that well yeah they were seeking this side agreement but they were seeking it for everybody (laughs) which mm, okay well yeah you you have to drain the swamp from the inside (laughs) Um, so I think that's, you know, that's sort of the, the hard part about this story is it's not as if Epic is this immensely likable company that's, that's truly doing it for the little guy. And I I think, I think why that's relevant is because I worry that 
it's going to dilute or distract from the the key message here, which is Apple should revise many of their app store policies. Yeah, that's true. And and that's one of the, the tricky parts about most, like a lot of legal cases that could have the ability to actually affect change is it's when you don't have a truly sympathetic um, plaintiff, it's, it's, it's difficult to, or sometimes your own personal opinions will color what ultimately might be the beneficial outcome of it. And then, sorry, to go back to what I was talking about before, or just to give the exact quote, um, what the judge said was uh, in, in response to uh, Epic, they said, your client created the situation. Your client does not come to this action with clean hands. In my view, you cannot have irreparable harm when you create the harm yourself. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. Um, and then subsequent to this, the last bit of um, news is that Epic has said that beginning tomorrow, apparently Fortnite works in terms of seasons. Um, I don't know what that actually means, but apparently I guess that's when you, it doesn't matter. Uh, but that will not be available on iPhones or on iOS at all. And it will become incompatible for cross-platform gameplay because of that beginning tomorrow. So it seems like Epic is not really backing down and they're maybe banking on the fact that um, because they don't want to remove that hot fix, which I guess is what people are calling the whole implementation of that direct payment system, uh, that they are, they're just going to hope that um, the users get mad enough where it at least puts more pressure on Apple or it, it maybe overshadows the fact that maybe people are thinking Epic is less sympathetic at this point. Yeah, I um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. We'll, ha- we'll have to get, get our people on that, but mm-hmm. I... I don't think so. I'm like I, I get I get the whole Fortnite thing as as an old person. I, I do at least like I understand what Fortnite is, and I, I I get that it's very very popular. But I I don't really ever hear about people playing it on their phones so much. Eh, the the young people do. What's that? The young people definitely do. I mean, I know I know that some do but i i think the majority play it across pc and consoles so i guess i I don't really have a, a sense of how, how meaningful the numbers are both for epic and for apple with fortnite i, I assume it's i assume they're you know significant numbers but um relative to fortnite as a whole i i just don't i don't know what they are yeah. Um, and then rounded out the full hearing on this will be in late September. Hopefully simultaneously uh during the iPhone event. <laughs> uh that would make my year. Uh, that would make twenty twenty worth it. It wouldn't, but it's fun to think about. Uh next up, uh this is a follow on to what we talked about maybe two weeks ago. Uh Disney Plus uh is going to one Mulan is going to be the first trial balloon for Disney of uh, trying to offer a big budget movie as a direct consumer rental slash purchase uh, bypassing theaters because everything's going on right now. So their solution was to have it available as a $30 purchase slash or a rental slash purchase in you are an active Disney plus subscriber, but apparently you will have early access to rent slash purchase it if you 
pay Apple 30%. Apparently, if you, if you do it as a $30 in-app purchase, you get premier, uh, premier access. Or has the story changed? Uh, it hasn't changed. It Just like the initial announcement around Mulan being available on Disney+, Plus was announced very clumsily. So I'll I'll give it a shot at explaining it here. So Disney basically was going to come up with this notion of premier access, which all that really meant was that you would have the ability as a Disney Plus subscriber to purchase slash rent Mulan. And the story goes that they were originally thinking about only making this premier access, which I'm not really even sure why they were branding that as something. Um, maybe it's an indication they're going to be using this on future films going forward. Who knows? But basically, it's just it's just a fancy phrase for giving users the ability to give Disney 30 more dollars to to watch Mulan. And something that I hadn't thought about when this story first came out was whether or not if, you know, if you were on like your Apple TV as a Disney Plus subscriber, if you were going to be able to um, purchase Mulan on your Apple TV because, you know, 30% of of 30 bucks becomes like pretty meaningful money, um, especially when you're talking about the, the margin that's probably involved here. And I guess Disney was thinking about having this notion of premier access, so having the ability to purchase Mulan be limited to its website. So customers would have to purchase Mulan on their website, therefore kind of getting around um, Apple's 30% cut, which would have been a really interesting story had it actually gone down that way. But it seems like Disney backs down from that plan, and now they're going to roll out this Premier Access concept on Apple, Google, and Roku platforms. So basically, like all the major platforms that Disney Plus is on, you're going to be able to um, rent Mulan. So, but again, does this give uh, early, like what's the early access part of it? Do you get to watch the movie earlier than somebody who doesn't? Do in app purchase? There's no, there's no early access here. No premier access. So, so September fourth is the date, and that was the date that Disney previously announced. Premier access was literally just a branded name for granting the ability for customers to buy Mulan. So this nine to five Mac story is entirely wrong. Um, it's not entirely wrong. It's it's just um confusingly worded. Gotcha. Okay. And I think it I think the premier access phrase also is confusing if Carlos, I don't know if you remember this, but back when we we used to uh, travel, hmm? I don't know if you're from yeah, uh, well i'll I'll remind you what that was offline. Um, premier access, like within the context of airlines, would usually mean things like, Either your bag came off the plane first or you got to board the plane first, so there was some type of like early access to something but that that's that's not really what this is wait so is 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 ordering mulan inside the app store like standing up when it's boarding group one but you're boarding group four is that the thing (laughs) 
Uh, sure. That, <laughs> that, in a nutshell, is why Americans have not dealt with the coronavirus. Um, so then this <laughs> this uh, nine to five article, nine to five Mac article goes on to um, call out the fact that um, Disney was asked um, if they would have to pay the thirty percent to Apple for Mulan purchases made on an Apple device, and Disney declined to comment. <laughs> so, um, hmm. yeah, interesting. Yeah, an interesting wrinkle that I had not considered, both within the context of Mulan and also just within the context of making first-run movies available through either an app or through Apple directly or whatever. Like, Apple's standard 30% is just presumably not going to work. Because, I mean, the, the again, the, the margin on this stuff especially at 30 bucks is is i'm assuming not going to be exceptionally high so 30 percent off of that's gonna get tough but aren't all companies supposed to build their business model around apple's 30 percent for the for the privilege <laughs> of being on the platform i thought that's what because apple as as curators and people who protect the integrity of the platform um you live at their largesse and and that's kind of right oh phil said that once Oh, you, uh, you mean Apple Fellow, Phil? <laughs> what a bad way to go out. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I'm just too too cynical, but like, I feel like Phil used to have like a really like, he's a very, because he was for a while, or I don't know if this is still his title, like he was SVP of product marketing, right? Right. Yeah. Like he seemed to have like, not the nice guy approach, but, but he was very like, unproblematic and well-liked um, and well-respected. And I feel like the App Store is kind of tainting his reputation. Well, but even but even with the App Store, remember, like, when he took it over from Q... Well, because like, of all the, the, like, the app review times were no longer, like, 10 days and there were some yeah. positive moves, but now right. his legacy is on his way out is just being like, well, now we're just gonna, we're gonna turn the screws and Apple is way... Apple is way worse than Microsoft in the DOJ era of when they're trying to force Internet Explorer on everybody. Yet somehow, they're st it's still not quite there, but people are kind of realizing what... Yeah, I, I don't know. It feels like for, again, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, Phil's story is not necessarily the one that he might have thought it was two years ago. Are we... Was there some kind of, like, drinking game happening where you take a drink every time you make a Hamilton reference on this episode? <laughs> I don't know, but if people want to retroactively do that and go make a Paloma, I mean, more power to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give my recipe for Smokey the Bear next week. Ooh. Um, all right. And then to round out follow-up, geez. Uh, we're, no, we're doing okay on time. Uh, there are some updates. Well, actually, we, we won't really get into what's happening to sports this minute, but it's interesting. It's, it's, um, I think we'll, we'll probably have more to say next week. Yeah, but um, so ignoring or going back a day which makes this clearer news the nfl has released some um details well the the, the miami dolphins and the the canes um have talked about how they think they will safely reopen so the nfl unlike all of the other major sports in the u.s has not had a universal stance on fans at games so, I mean, obviously, with 
the NHL and the NBA being in the bubble environments they're in, there there are no fans there. And then with baseball, which is playing just in their, you know, regular home stadiums, they came out at the beginning of the season and across the board said, you know, no fans anywhere. The NFL in their typical shitty fashion came out and said, oh, well, you know, we're just basically going to leave it up to uh, whatever local um, um, laws allow for. And so, of course, this is now playing out in basically like the worst possible way where you've got about half half the teams who have come out and said they're either going to have no fans um, for the whole season or at least for part of the season. And then you've got the other half who either haven't announced what their plans are or like the Dolphins have come out and said they're going to do something to the effect of having about 20% of the stadium full. And this similar things have been happening with college football for the conferences that are still continuing to plan on playing in the fall. Um, this 20% number seems to be the the magic number that um, stadiums have landed on. So, you know, for some context, like with the, with the dolphins, they play in a stadium, which is about 65,000 people or can, can fit about 65,000 people. So, you're talking about roughly 13,000 13, fans at a game. And, you know, they're saying things like everybody has to wear a mask the whole game and that groups have to be spaced six feet apart, which, which is just such a load of bullshit. Like, well, I, it, I, would, it, I would love to see the enforcement on that, which is yeah, going to be zero. It, exactly. It's, it's going to be a complete disaster. And it's just it's so irresponsible like that's that's the worst part about it right is that it's just flat out irresponsible not only to the people at the games but to societies around these stadiums well because because it's the well so yeah yes definitely the environmental impact or not the environmental but like the the like adjacent impact of people there, but also the message that it says to people, because it, it's a big sign that everything that America, like it's the whole, that's what they, the 45 has been pushing the whole time is that America's open for business and we're just going to keep pushing forward until we shut everything down every two days. Cause we found out that that didn't fucking work. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot not to like about football. I'm not breaking any news there, but this is just really, really bad mm -hmm. can i see something unrelated about sports sure that's entirely unproblematic so i was flipping through the channels because again i was hate watching the rnc and i stumbled across a hockey game wasn't there somebody there's somebody on a uh a team that had their logo was a d and uh the name was P pavelski Pavelski, yeah, Joe Pavelski. Yeah. Was, did he switch teams? Wasn't he a shark? He did, yeah. Oh, wasn't he one of the good ones? He was, yeah, fan fan favorite. Who's the one that got, a, uh, like, in the playoffs, got kind of a fairly bad head injury? That was that Joe, Joe Pavelski, yep. Oh, okay, that's a bummer. What, yeah, so who, he, he sorry, was, who's he on now? Uh, the Dallas Stars. Are they good? They are um, <laughs> in the second round of the playoffs, and... I think it's game three tonight of the series that they're in, and they they were they had won the first two games. So yeah, they're doing pretty well. Got it. Okay. 
Uh, and then uh, to ease into regular stuff out of follow-up, uh, you put a, a link in here about... Um, you've been kind of on the... Uh, the the um, sounding the alarm on the impending uh, uh, dearth of content for people to watch since we're kind of we're approaching six months since most everything shut down. Um, I like on variety that they have this this great picture of uh, Guy Fieri in his Corvette or in his Camaro. Uh, but that you you've been on the beat of uh, there's gonna be no content to watch. But apparently Food Network is not having that issue where they continue to churn out new content. Um, and they've had some timely stuff uh, where um, Trip D has pivoted to being about like takeout food now. Uh, well, they, they had done that for a while. Yes. But, you know, now that we've reached a point where, you know, restaurants are open in at least some capacity, if not complete capacity, basically across the whole country, that's, that's become a little less relevant now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, so one of the things that I have been fascinated by through the shutdown, specifically around TV is I feel like it's given us a window into something that I've been curious about for a long time, which is on these like HDTV and food network shows, like how far in advance do they film these things? Um, and I had figured that um, they had, you know, they, that they filmed shows quite a bit ahead of time, but it's even further ahead than, than I thought. So the, there are a couple of examples here um, in this article, which kind of happened to be two of the series that I was, that I was most curious about. So one is a uh, uh, favorite of the show, Chopped. You know, they've been just consistently churning out new episodes, um, even you know right now and i was just thinking like geez like how many of these did they have in the can and this article calls out the fact that even if they don't film any more new episodes in 2020 they have enough new episodes left to to last them through a meaningful part of 2021 (laughs) which um I guess in retrospect kind of makes a lot of sense because when you think about who's on that show um, you know, all of those people are going to have super busy schedules. So I assume what they do is they just, they bring them to New York for two weeks and they just crank out, you know, a ton of episodes. They're doing three, four episodes a day. And then they've, you know, they've got this whole stockpile of them. Like they're not going to, um, similar to your, you know, you don't want to wash, you know, just one dish at a time. Like they're not going to bring all these people in the <laughs> studio <laughs> Bring it full circle, Carlos. Uh-huh. Um, you know, bring everybody to New York and film like one episode and then send everybody home. Um, so I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, but then the other really fascinating thing is, um, so I'm a big fan, as is the lady friend, of the uh, baking championship series on the Food Network. So this is the Halloween baking championship the holiday baking championship and the spring baking championship they've got this set up so that they basically run almost the entire year and you know i've been curious for a little while now like are they you know are they gonna are they gonna have these shows this year because i i kind of i've always had it in my head that 
like the Halloween and holiday ones that they film those like probably sometime like in the late summer, maybe probably, but no, it's, it's even earlier than that. It's March. It turns out because they had actually just started filming the Halloween baking championship. Like I think they were literally on the first episode when the shutdown happened in March. And so they obviously stopped and what they had just done recently, um, I think this was back in July, is they, they kind of pulled uh, an MBA and they brought everybody into a resort in California. There's a Food Network bubble. It, it, there 100% is, yeah. They, they brought everybody in. They tested everybody. And from that point on, everybody was in this kind of just, you know, protected environment. And they're uh, filming the show outside. So they're, you know, there's no indoor studios anywhere. It, it's all being done, I think, like basically under a big tent outside. And they filmed the Halloween one, the holiday one, and the spring one, like back to back to back. Um, so I'm, I'm super um, curious, um, using the word curious a lot here, um, what, what those are going to look like. And they, they, they've kind of made it a point to say that they're not trying to simply recreate what the shows normally are, but they are actually, you know, going to kind of, um, lean in as you're famous for saying into mm -hmm. the kind of, uh, you know, different format. So, yeah, I don't know this, this kind of happened to answer two of my, my big questions about the TV. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, so two, th two things on that one, and this is, this is only tangentially related. So there's a, there's a baker I really like on Instagram and apparently she was a guest judge on uh chopped sweets. I always forget. Do you say that if is that a good spinoff or a bad bad use of spinoff? So I'm a really big fan of the host of that show. He's a chef, Scott Conant. He um is a is a regular judge on on regular chopped. Um so I like Scott. The 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 lady friend and I actually took he did one of those um online like live cooking classes over zoom that you could like buy a ticket to and all the proceeds went to charity and we actually did one of those uh, a couple months ago with him that was fun um but no chopped sweets is i would just say is so so it's no chopped <laughs> and chopped is no top chef and uh mm, well i've watched it it's eh, mm, well mm, well that's a, a whole other, that. that's a whole other show <laughs> It is a whole other show. It's on a different network too. Um, and then the other thing. What was the other thing? Oh, so yeah, so that's the thing where. Um, so I guess that works for Food Network because that's been the whole debate of if you're writing TV right now, or if you have TV that like was is just about to film or was just about to film before things kind of shut down for a little bit. Should scripted TV right in the pandemic and that's the point where i guess for reality or quick turnaround tv like what food network does leaning into that makes sense but i feel like just on a personal level this is like there's no research here or any other anything going into this i feel like most scripted tv shouldn't or like it just it just won't age well like even though because of um incompetence and uh unwillingness for uh 
everybody in this country to get their act together, oh, coronavirus is going to be around for a lot longer than it needs to be. I feel like it being part of seasons of TV just doesn't really make sense. Because one, scripted TV is probably supposed to be an escape from this. But also, I just it feels like if it's going to be binged two years from now, it just, it just won't age well. But for reality stuff, it totally does make sense. Yeah, there was a good discussion about that on Upgrade last week or the week before, where I guess there's been some rumors kicking around that the morning show, which was in the midst of filming season two when the shutdown happened, was considering rewriting large portions of season two to incorporate coronavirus. And Jason made um, a couple of really interesting points, one being that basically what you just said, which is like, you know, assuming that season two of the morning show comes out you know, sometime mid to late next year and like, God, assuming that things are hopefully significantly better by then, are we really going to want to watch a fictional show about the hellish experience that we all just had in real life? Like, probably not. And the other interesting point I thought Jason brought up was that that was sort of the case with the 1918 flu, which is there's very little fictional work done that that references those events like there's really no books or movies or paintings or anything that really focuses a bunch on the pandemic because when it was over everybody was just so you know devastated by it that they kind of wanted just to you know move Move on on. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I mean, I'm 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 all for like with with reality TV sort of as long as obviously everybody it's same caveat that you give with all the sports stuff like as as long as it can be done safely like I I'm all for the networks doing as much as they can. It's keeping people employed. It's giving entertainment during a time where we all desperately need it. Like I'm all for it and. It's it's doing it's giving us entertainment in a way unlike some movies which are about to come out which demand that you put your life at risk by going to a movie theater which I'm I'm not nearly as happy about. Yeah, but fifteen cents though. I've got I got a I got a big bee in my bonnet about that new Christopher Nolan movie that's coming out. What's it called? Teton. Tenant, I think. <laughs> Close. No, Tetons are mountains. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So that that one. Yeah, I mean, I big big Christopher Nolan fan. I've got I've got the big box set of all his movies on UHD. I really really like his work, but the insistence on having this movie come out in theaters is so frustrating. I, I hope I hope this movie completely bombs in theaters. I hope it makes nothing in theaters. Uh, I like your scorched earth policy. Uh, actually, I'll probably a bad analogy right now, but okay. All right. Do you... okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna promote a couple of one mini topic up front real quick because uh, this this is actually something that you could t- speak a bit to more than I can. Uh, I robot makers of the uh, the delightful little Roomba vacuum cleaners. Uh, had a big update yesterday, uh, where they are, I forget if they, if, if, are they, are they using AI in the true sensor? Are they just using it as a marketing gimmick? 
Yeah, I think it's mostly in the marketing gimmick. Mm. It's it's AI like Series AI where it says, "Oh, I think you might want to get up at seven forty because you set a seven forty alarm." <laughs> Very smart, <laughs> yeah. Siri. Thank you. Right. Uh, <laughs> so upsetting. Um, yeah. So they are making a bunch of updates to the vslam enabled Roomba models. The ones that basically they have the technology where they could have mostly mapped out a room. They're basically and again, I'm I'm being a pessimist this month slash year slash decade. Uh, they're basically doing some very very shallow integrations with some smart home things, where you can now integrate it with like an August lock, where that becomes kind of like a if this then that trigger, where once it realizes you're away and it just lock the door, that will then engage Roomba uh, to go start cleaning. Apparently, the voice assistant integration is getting more advanced in the sense that you can um, use the map that it has generated in the past to specify an area to clean, which I guess was an option, but was not an option by voice before. No, you you, you can do that with the, the lady in a can integration already. So then what, then I guess other than the smart home triggers, what has actually changed with version 5.0? Yeah, so there there is there're basically two big things. One is what you just said, which is the the smart home integration stuff where now instead of having your robot run on a set schedule just based on time or certain days of the week, you can have it start cleaning when an action takes place with one of your other smart home devices. So the one that you listed I think is is the best example where there's now an integration with August Smart Lock where when you leave your house, Roomba can automatically start cleaning the house and i've gone through the setup process on this but well haven't left my house <laughs> since this update came out and so i'm, I'm going to be really curious to see if it's smart enough to use the um, auto unlock feature of august which sort of puts a perimeter around your home and it waits to have roomba start cleaning until you've like truly left that perimeter as opposed to just start cleaning the moment you close your front door because you know i use my front door to do things like take out trash cans and things like that and i wouldn't necessarily want roomba to start right away um, but anyway more more to come on on that but then the second big thing that this update does is it takes the um smart maps feature of some of their newer vacuums including the i7 plus that the lady friend and i have and it's making them a little more granular. So it already does, you know, maps out your whole house and it allows you to put up um, virtual barriers to you know, not go into certain places. And it allows you to mark certain areas as rooms so that you can then have Roomba clean just specific rooms instead of your entire house. Now it, it's sort of um, re further refining those maps by... Um, keeping track of where things like tables are and other pieces of furniture so that you can have uh, Roomba clean what they're calling um, clean zones, which are basically like sub areas of rooms. So like the example would be if you have a dining room and you have a you know a dining room table, maybe after you're done eating, there's a bit of a mess around the table instead of having Roomba clean the entire dining room, you can have it clean just underneath the dining room table, which it will now know um, exactly where that is and how to navigate around that. 
So it's basically a it's like smart maps two two or five right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really curious how that August integration works. I I might have an opportunity to test that tomorrow, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, um, I've had it in my Amazon cart for a while, and apparently, as part of this, uh, the Roombas are on sale again. Mm. So the i seven is um. For the one without the self-emptying thing, just because I don't have the square footage for that or a permanent place for that, um, it would be four ninety nine instead of the usual either five ninety nine or six ninety nine. But because of the i because of the iMac, I I do not think it's in the budget. Yeah, I I I'd caution you against bumping all the way up to the i seven if you're not going to do the the self cleaning part too. But then, but the so I, like I I know I got the cheap one or the very very like I think the six eighty or six ninety whatever I have is is was a good experimental model or a way to dip my toes into that. But I guess like then the nine hundred series I assume is not that much cheaper. So like again, it's it's not in the budget, so I I'm not going to upgrade unless somehow there's some big slick deal on it but like i guess like what what would i upgrade to that's not the i7 that's worth it no i I think for you it's it's the i7 with the self-cleaning bin or do you just stick with what you have i don't i don't i don't think just upgrading to the i7 or anything in between would be a a worthwhile enough upgrade yeah we'll see all right um this I'll just tease for a future week, I guess. So in terms of a uh, new business that we have, um, you and several others have talked about um, the fun experience, not actually maybe fun's the wrong word, but the experiences uh, of uh, tinkering with a Raspberry Pi to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, for your specific one, you used it to make a single light switch work. Was that <laughs> most of it? Am I am I being uncharitable? No, that's exactly right. Do you have two? I, I or is the other? Is it still? Because I know you have Homebrew or Homebridge running on one, or is or is that the same one? So Homebridge was what had powered that single light switch. Um, but I that you know that I no longer use that light switch. So, <laughs> um, so wait, is it all? Is it just doing nothing now? So the Raspberry Pi is not currently doing anything now. I've been it's been on the 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 backlog of things I want to do to kind of fire that thing back up and put the new version of Homebridge on it because I guess Homebridge 2.0 has like an actual user interface and stuff now and isn't just like a bunch of uh I don't really even know what the the scripting language is or whatever it is. Like it's, it's not a bunch of terminal commands in linux now so <laughs> save that um yeah but didn't you didn't you end up having to buy like a very very specific proprietary thing that was kind of like a more formalized box that only did homebridge sort of well they so it's not i i, I might be able to also run run homebridge um on this box which god i'm it's it's the name of it I remember it had a really silly name it does it does have a really silly name um what what the heck's it called i have to it's uh, called the habitat the habitat thank you see it's like it's it's totally this this thing that you know you set it up once you put it in your network closet and you never really think about it until it breaks and then you don't remember the logins for it <laughs> right. 
I know I, I bought that thing because it has a um, a very specific feature which allows you to integrate multiple Philips Hue hubs. Oh yeah, um, into a single environment which tricks the the Amazon lady in a can to thinking that you really only have one hub because the lady in a can skill only supports one hub. Yeah, super, super weird use case. Got it. But yeah, so I've I've been I've been wanting to so we've talked about my complex network setup where I have a whole ton of very robust and, and it's and it's working very well. Um ubiquity unify enterprise networking products. Um they do a great job, but they're not good at um like custom domain filtering or things like that. Where Casey on uh, Accidental Tech Podcast has talked about, have you ever heard of whenever he starts talking about uh, a product with a really dumb name called Piehole? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is kind of like network-wide ad blocking. Um, and you can also do some other um, stuff where I, I, my main point is I want to be able to uh, hard code a like blacklist for certain time-wasting websites because I'm... Uh, easily distracted um so i'm thinking about doing that and so that's why i ordered a it was called a so it was a raspberry pi 4 but raspberry pi like i've been aware of it and i know what it is and it's been around for almost a decade now but like the raspberry pi itself is just like a very like it just looks like like a pci card that's just kind of it looks like it needs to go into something right and Apparently there's a lot of stuff like where like you're not really just going to run this just it's not going to sit on a kitchen table and just be all exposed so there's still other stuff so No you you want you want a case you want you need the power adapter you need the micro SD card there's there's a, there's a whole thing and I I can see in your picture you got a a Canna kit which is which is what I got to Yeah so I I I just looked on Amazon for whatever it was highly reviewed for and apparently yeah I didn't know how it was pronounced so yeah let's go with Canna kit so it was it was eighty nine dollars. It had a thirty two gig micro SD card, um, a micro HDMI cable. Maybe this is what the port is called. Um, and then it came with a USB C power adapter, but I threw it away because it didn't look like a very good one. And I have eight thousand other USB C power adapters lying around. Um, so I did that and I set it up, and it was perplexing to set up sort of like so the canna kit thing comes preloaded with uh like a base operating system that makes it easy to pull down the current version of i'm gonna guess pi os is that a thing maybe i it's 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 it's, it's a variant of, it's a variant of uh debian linux right um that's made for the raspberry pi but anyway like i mean it's a cool little thing where it's a it's basically a full-on quad core computer that has that's powered by USB-C, which is neat so you don't have any other power adapters and it's got a full standard rj45 ethernet jack and it's got two usb3 ports like it's a pretty full-fledged computer um i found it fairly difficult because i want i don't ever want to plug this into a monitor ever i was my next question was going to be like do you do you have a standalone monitor i have an lg oled tv (laughs) that anytime i need to do that Because this happened back when I'm, I need to do stuff on my Mac Mini, and because that's the problem where like I have stuff like I just I just use uh, VNC to get into everything, right? Where my Mac Mini does not have a 
monitor plugged into it. I just do, I use that as a virtualization server and then I VNC into a VMware instance that's running on the Mac mini. So it's, it's, it's computer running on a computer running on a virtual computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like that exhibit yo dog meme. Oh, so you, it, you've built a little mini Silicon Valley in your apartment. Mini Silicon Valley? Huh? I don't know. I was trying to make just, I don't know, some kind of bad Silicon Valley joke. Continue, please. It's okay. No, dude, but, but I better not see you write edit point. Oh, no, no, no. I, no, no editing Gotta leave there. that in. Um, so, yeah, so I, I like to run most of those products. It's just like, I, I wish it was like there was just like a server farm in my house where none of that stuff ever needs to be plugged in. So with the Raspberry Pi, though... It's kind of difficult to do it without a monitor and keyboard and mouse. So I set it up and I plugged it into the OLED TV and I took my Microsoft Sculpt keyboard. And I always, because for instances like this, I keep a really, really crappy uh, like $3 Dynex USB mouse mm-hmm. just somewhere in my house. Yep. Um, so I plug that in. Set it up and it was kind of it was a huge pain in the butt to get uh, VNC to work reliably without being plugged into anything because I thought I had it set up and then I unplugged it and just powered it on again, only connected to the internet and power. And I would get a message on VNC saying we can't show your desktop and apparently you have to do some SSH configuration editing to get it to do the thing. I do. I yeah. When I was setting up that Homebridge thing, I likewise intended just to throw it in the network closet without a screen attached to it. And I I do remember there was some step in that process where yeah, you basically had to like run some command to say like, hey, like always stay on and stay available to network commands. Yeah, so I mean, like that that makes that part made sense. But apparently, just with this version of Pi OS, again, that's just a guess. Um, you had to add some extra stuff that because like I guess if there's not a monitor involved, it doesn't start the windowing system that allows VNC to work. So anyway, I got I got it to work eventually um installed the piehole software successfully and then uh as i was trying to configure custom dns routing on my network uh, i broke my network and didn't have internet for a couple of hours and now it is not currently part of my network because i don't want to break it again so this will be a a sunday afternoon project maybe wait wait wait, hold on you your whole network went down like not not like the comcast connection but like as i was trying to make some changes where because like I have the Unify security gateway that's kind of that's the equivalent of a router and trying to force that Raspberry Pi to be the local DNS server instead of like just 8.8.8.8 which is the the Google DNS um that kind of broke my configuration and then I stupidly did this at like 11 o'clock on a Monday night when I actually had things to do that I needed to get done. So I spent like an hour and a half trying to recover that system. Cause like my, my, my Unify setup is very like rock solid, but I just, I didn't make a backup beforehand. So it was, I got it pieced back together, but it was kind of a huge pain in the butt. So currently the Raspberry Pi is doing a whole lot of nothing. So I need to do more research and testing to figure out how to do this effectively. Which is why this is an ongoing mini project and I don't have much to share now other than the fact that I have it. And there's a good chance I will never actually use this because I'm too dumb to make it work. Um, but it's still neat. And for 90 bucks, it was cool to try, I guess. Yeah, I, I really I really do want to fire up my Raspberry Pi and, and get that new version of Homebridge on it. And 
I mean, really, the only thing I'd use that for would be to hook my Nest products into HomeKit, which I don't really have a, like a burning desire to do. But I don't know, I might be kind of cool to, I guess, see the temperature inside the Home app. I don't know. Wait, do they Nest products don't integrate into HomeKit? Well, that I mean, that's sort of that's like the origin of Homebridge was was the way to get Nest stuff into HomeKit because yeah, but I thought you, I thought that was back in the day when Apple was like, no, you need a special chipset that we buy or that that we sell you and all this kind of stuff. I thought like two years ago they loosened that up a ton where you just have to like prove that you're not shady about how you write your software. I thought that was all. I guess that was old news. That, that also was probably part of the origin of of Homebridge, but. Um, no, despite Apple making it easier for manufacturers to support HomeKit, Google does not across any of their products. Mm, I, I don't know. I just I just Googled Nest Thermostat HomeKit, and one of the first thing that says Apple HomeKit can now talk to Google Nest without HomeBridge. Mm, click into that though. That's not. It's not going to be native. Home oh, support, it's, it's some think. product called a Starling Home. No, no. Yeah, which I think nope. which I think just runs HomeBridge on it. No. Yeah. No. Blue urns. All right. Anyway, so yeah, so I will maybe check in on that, but maybe I'll just Google for other cool stuff because uh, that the Raspberry Pi can do. Because I guess my issue of where maybe it's not going to be that useful to me if I can't get this like Pi hole thing to run is just that like because I have this Mac Mini that's dedicated to that, I can just like reload another instance of whatever OS I need. Like I have like an, uh, a couple of Mac VMs that always run. I have a, a Windows 10 one in case there's something that I do need Windows for, which happens. Uh, like If you ever have to do a firmware update on your Sony camera on Catalina, good luck. Because Sony's firmware updater software is like super dodgy. Um, so that's one thing where I actually do just use a VMware instance to do that because it's just so much easier on Windows. Is it is it like a 32-bit app or something no it's that sony if like it just does are you aware have you been a mac user long enough to know what kernel extensions are no yeah it's kind of like next level like like one level deeper than like a standard like windows driver apple has been trying to deprecate those for a long time and it's kind of a security risk so kind of in the same way that um they talk about on upgraded like uh, OS 10 tries to make it sound really, really scary if you ever do that. And it is a legitimate security risk. So I don't love that Sony still doesn't write proper software for that. So I, rather than taking the security risk or dealing with any of that kind of stuff, I just do firmware updates on my camera and lenses uh, in a Windows VM. So anyway, so that, that that's to bring up to the point where I kind of already have a means of running like little like micro projects where I'm not really sure what I would use the Raspberry Pi for otherwise. But again, cool to have a little Linux box to play with, I guess. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you want to kick the, cause I'm not sure I have a formalized thought on the, uh, Uber stuff still. Do you want to kick that till next week? Yeah, let's do it. I think, um, that topic deserves us being, um, a little fresher than perhaps we are at, uh, 10 30 PM. Yes. All right. You want to go to Chef Specials? Let's do it. All right. So I actually, I think I mentioned this application. I don't remember what the context was uh, on last week's show, but then literally 
the day after we recorded, they announced a, a huge update to it for the first time. Oh yeah. Um, and this is this is Ariel. So this is the the little app that basically lets you run all the super cool Apple TV screensavers on your Mac. And it you know started out as this little like sort of Skunk's Works project that you like basically just downloaded directly from GitHub. Um, and it it has version 2.0 now that has like a really fancy user interface and a bunch of customizable settings and things like you can now have daytime scenes run during the day and nighttime scenes run at night if you want things like that um i think you can also specify um certain types of um screensavers so you can have i think ones that only show up you know the only the ones that are in 4k hdr you can have those be prioritized things like that so neat little neat little app and uh, version 2.0 is really nice cool and is it still freeware mm-hmm. yep yeah uh pretty cool yeah and, and you still basically download it from github so you know the the chance it's a virus on my mac but yeah it's usually it's usually pretty legit or i mean it as long seems as you, to be okay but it, as a as a novice user with github stuff it's always uh just a um like a scavenger hunt for finding out where's the actual non-source code download link right that's always fun um I'm trying to think if I have a a good one this week. Um, I have an experimental one that I'll actually save. So in this one, I will actually this this is another kind of coffee pick. Oh, actually, have you have you brewed your Andy Town coffee yet? I have. Yeah. Rating on it. I know it's I know it's early, and also coffee's hard to tell the difference between. But thumbs up, down, sideways, thumb. You know I'm. I'm becoming a little bit of an, of an espresso snob, I have to say, because I've I've been kind of making an effort more recently to to try various types of espresso, mm-hmm. and I'm finding that I'm pretty particular about what I like. Hmm. The Andy Town one is is so so. It's um, it's I I think I prefer a little bit of a darker roast with my espresso, so it's it's a little light for my taste. Got it. Well, worth a try and it's and it's um it's pricey it is because they they also and they kind of do a little bit of a not a bait and switch but they they sell it in eight ounce packages to yeah. kind of high not to to make it not seem twenty dollars a pound so i so i had, i had known that they were you know smaller bags when i purchased them i, I bought two bags mm-hmm. and <laughs> when when they arrived like the the box i was like wait what um are they really that small? And you open it up and, oh, yeah, eight-ounce bags are <laughs> super tiny. Yeah. Um, so the, so I bring that up because of, oh, sh- oh, no, I deleted your Slack thread or your DM. You, you deleted my DM. How dare you? No, it's still there. Slack knows all or Slack remembers all because they need it for depositions. Um, okay. So you had, <laughs> I think maybe a month ago on the show, you... Uh, might have been quoted as saying uh coffee effing everywhere when you were <laughs> using your um your baritza encore or something yeah ooh so i sent you a link to this because this was not specifically a coffee thing but sometimes like i like i you sent me a, a recipe to uh like some cheddar biscuits which set off a chain reaction for me um and this is something i'll detail on on a future show 
where I've been trying to recreate uh, the muffins that uh, a bakery I really like does. There's uh, They do a uh, bacon cheddar beer muffin, which is very good. And my imitation ones are a solid B minus right now. It's getting there. Okay. But yeah, but when, when making coffee and baking, sometimes you'll end up with like a little kitchen or a little counter mess. And there's a couple of different approaches to how to clean that up. But I found that, you know, like a little cute little tiny tabletop uh, broom and dustpan is a, a solid pick. And this is like, well, I think when I got it, it was like $10 and uh, it's cute and it's nice and it does a job. So Did whatever. Did you get the, the mini one? Yes. Wait. Oh God, God, no. The, yeah. The other one's huge. Oh, okay. this was meant oh, for yeah, like, again, like the, the mini one is perfect for like some stray coffee grounds or just cleaning up very, very small messes. I like this. Yeah. I, when we, you know, with, with the, the remodeled kitchen, it, it's, we have totally white countertops. So every little, um, ground espresso bean shows up. So, and it, and it, and it's, uh, the gray and the, um, the the wood accent like it it's very it's very it's very transitional it's very it's very modern <laughs> um so yeah that's that's my pick uh, whatever i don't know full circle is the brand but um you'll put the link in the notes it, it says right here on amazon brand colon full circle seems legit <laughs>